Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 109. Isaiah 5, 20 through 21. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and understanding in their own sight. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, thanks for coming back to join me for this biblical study. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is episode 109 and part 13, addressing some of the texts of the New Covenant as they relate to the general themes of the texts that are written about in the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, I want to continue where I left off last time in the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 12. Last time, I presented some of my views based on the storyline in verses 1 through 2. At that time, Yeshua went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And the Pharisees saw it. Well, what exactly did they see? Well, on one particular Sabbath, Yeshua and his disciples were walking through those local grain fields and were hungry. Being hungry, they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat those heads of grain. But of course, the Pharisees noticed that this was an infraction of the law against reaping and also perhaps grinding and sorting. These are categories of labors that are based on what is called the 39 forbidden actions of work on the Sabbath. So let's pick up with the story in Matityahu or Matthew chapter 12, verse 2. So again, these Pharisees said to him, to Yeshua, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Here, as you can see, the Pharisaic grievance was not at all about plucking heads of grain from a local grain field. Their grievance was that of plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath, as they interpreted the text of Exodus or Shemot, chapter 31, verses 15 through 16. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is a Sabbath of rest holy to Jehovah. Whoever does work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep or guard the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. So, responding to the accusation, Yeshua said to those Pharisees in Matthew 12, verses 3 through 4, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of Elohim, or the house of God, 
and ate the lechem ha-panim, which is translated into King James vernacular as showbread, which, as Yeshua goes on to say, was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests, the Kohanim. Now, generally, it seems to me that when Bible expositors unpack the story from Matityahu chapter 12, verses 3 through 4, which is part of the overall context of the eight verses that make up this narrative, they conclude that it is more important to demonstrate compassion and mercy over that of keeping biblical laws, at least laws such as the Sabbath. In other words, demonstrating Yah's love and compassion is far more significant than not getting bogged down in the minutia of Old Testament biblical laws. That's what many people come away with after reading this particular story narrative. We should naturally show compassion and mercy to those around us. I get that, because these are worthy traits to cultivate. Nevertheless, I am confident that this is not where we can learn about Jehovah's attributes of mercy and compassion. First, we must ask, what exactly did David do? We are going to need to get the backstory to Yeshua's teaching lesson. So let's read the context of 1 Samuel 21, 1-9. Now David came to Nob, to a man by the name of Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech, the Kohen or priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. So David goes on to say to Ahimelech, Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the Kohen, the priest, answered David and said, Well, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, or sacred bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the Kohen and said to him, Oh, yeah, truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, meaning their bodies are pure, their bodies are holy, and the bread is in effect common, meaning the bread would have lost its sanctity after it was removed from the table of the tabernacle with the text going on to say, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the Kohen gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before Yehovah in order to put hot bread in its place 
on the day when it was taken away. Then, at the end of this written account, we are told the following. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before Jehovah, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, and also the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to King Saul. We'll come back to this in a moment, but first, before we do, let's finish the narrative. David then says to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the Kohen said, The sword of Goliath, or Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the the ephod. If you wish to take that, take it. For there is none other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. To fully appreciate all of this dialogue, recall from 1 Samuel 16, 1-13, that the prophet Shmuel, or Samuel, was called by Jehovah to go unto the house of Yishai, or Jesse, and from one of his sons to anoint a replacement king for Israel. This is because Shaul, or Saul, severed his covenant with Jehovah and came to be unfaithful to Jehovah. The story tells us that from the youngest of the seven sons of Yishai, there was a young shepherd boy by the name of David. And from this, we will learn something about Jehovah and his character. 1 Samuel 16.7 For Jehovah does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but Jehovah looks at the heart. This teaching is going to play into the story of Matthew 12.2-4. Once again, when Yeshua said, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and ate the lechem ha-panim, that is, the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the Kohanim, or the priests. Let's remember here that initially Saul, or Shaul, was made king over all Israel, but he felt genuinely threatened by that young man David. Saul knew that Jehovah had rejected his kingship, but that he did not immediately know that David was anointed by Samuel to step into the kingly role and replace Saul, meaning Saul was out. But in the meantime, Saul remained quite envious of the shepherd boy David, and you can read all about this in 1 Samuel chapter 18. One thing remains clear from the narrative. Saul was not going to just step down from his kingship and willingly give it over to that little harp-playing upstart of a king. No way! He planned to hang on to his power and his authority for as long as he could. Meanwhile, Saul's son Jonathan had a different spirit 
and his bond to David was as if they were knit together as one soul. So then we learn in 1 Samuel 19.1, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. You see, Saul had every intention to remove the threat of David coming in and taking his throne. With the help of Saul's son Jonathan, David goes on the run from place to place, village to village, cave to cave, anywhere that he might be able to hide in order to get away from King Saul's insanity and his driven intention to kill David. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we pick up the story of David frantically running away from King Saul. Here we learn that David comes to a city of Kohanim that is called Nob. Apparently, David has a support group of fighting brothers that want nothing to do with King Saul, but conferring with the narrative, when David comes to this priestly city of Nob, he comes alone. And so, according to the storyline in 1 Samuel 21, we're going to discover the following 12 points. Number one, David is famished from King Saul chasing him all over the kingdom, and David is on the run, fighting for his life. Two, this, of course, gets the attention of the Kohen, the priest, Ahimelech, in the city of Nob, who says to David, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. It just looks really suspicious to this priest. Number three, David is quick on his response to the Kohen and explains that he and his men are famished. Number four, he says to Ahimelech, What have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. The fifth point, but the only bread offered in the weak old priestly lechem ha-panim, also called the bread of the faces, that is freshly baked every week and then brought into the tabernacle and placed there on the special table in front of Jehovah as hot bread. Point number six, the Kohen Ahimelech appears to be growing more suspicious of David and why he is asking for loaves of old bread, even if he says he's hungry, because that bread lawfully only belongs to the Kohanim, or the priests, as sustenance to them and their families in that city. The Lechem HaPanim, or bread of the faces, is not permitted to anyone else, period. And this is precisely what the law of Torah says in Leviticus 24, 8-9. Every Sabbath, he, referring to the priest, shall set it in order before Jehovah continually from the children of Israel by an everlasting or eternal covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place or a sanctified place, for it is most holy, or super-sanctified, if you will, to him 
from the offerings of Jehovah made by fire by a perpetual statute. This brings us to point seven. David has a quick and ready response for Ahimelech. He says to that Cohen, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Point eight. David then is scavenging for some defensive weaponry. After all, King Saul is chasing him, and David wants to be prepared in the event that Saul and his men happen to catch up with him. So David persuasively says to the priest, to the Kohen, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? Point nine. Ahimelech the Kohen appears to not be really sure what's going on here and seems to come across as if to be just a bit nervous about all that young David is up to. But again, David comes back with a persuasive and believable response. So he says to the priest, Look, I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business just all of a sudden came up, and it is what it is. Or perhaps you could say, it was what it was. Urgent! This is how it is presented in the Hebrew text. Point number 10. The priest seems to accept David's answer and says, The sword of Goliath, or Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, well, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. So, if you want, take that. Point number 11. David was happy to take the sword, but remember, that sword, once belonging to Goliath, did not belong to David. Not even after he killed Goliath. Why? Because the sword was kingdom property belonging to King Saul, because it was under King Saul when David went out to fight that Philistine giant Goliath. So at that time, Saul was king, not David. Therefore, David had no rights to that sword. And finally, point number 12, David happily receives the five loaves of the old priestly bread and also the sword that he used to kill Goliath and hurriedly departs from Ahimelech and that city of the Kohanim in Nob, still under the authority of Saul's kingdom. So there you have the whole narrative and a little bit of my commentary in a nutshell. But the story is far from over. You see, David contrived a tall tale and a number of lies to alleviate the Cohen's concerns, and his suspicions. But in doing so, David had to do a lot of creative thinking and a lot more creative lying. Ultimately, he was deceitful involving the bread of the tabernacle, the Lechem HaPanim. Also, he committed thievery in the stealing of the sword belonging to Saul and his kingdom. 
And maybe I might also say that David took advantage of the Kohen, Ahimelech, by manipulating him. So all this put the Kohen, all of his brother priests, and all of their families of Nob into mortal danger because of the recklessness of King Saul. With all this said, let us recall, however, from the Hebrew text of 1 Samuel 16.14, quote, But the Spirit of Jehovah departed from King Saul, and an evil spirit from Jehovah caused him to be gripped with terror. From the context of the whole narrative, we learn that King Saul was repeatedly besides himself and, we might say, out of his mind. His actions were unpredictable, and one could not trust him to act rationally and to act in truth. And then, to make matters even worse, we learn from the first Samuel chapter 21 narrative that between Ahimelech and David in Nob, there just so happened to be a very vile man in the city that day. And this is according to 1 Samuel 21.7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. And I love how the Hebrew puts it, that he was kept firmly in place there before Jehovah or in Jehovah's face. In other words, Jehovah had him there for this event on that particular day. And what was his name? Doeg the Edomite. He was the chief of the herdsmen belonging to the kingdom of King Saul. And interestingly, Doeg is of the descendants of Esau or Esau. And strangely, Doeg's name in Hebrew actually means worried, very worried. Doeg, the head shepherd of all of King Saul's flocks of sheep and goats, is there in Nob at the same time that David is there manipulating the Kohen Ahimelech, who is the son of Ahituv. David is busy manipulating the Kohen into giving him some bread on the pretext that he is hungry, And whether that is true or not, I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Also to give him a weapon that he has no right to have. Now, I think that would be a much better plausible explanation as to why he's really there. Because he wants a weapon, and I think he knows that Goliath's sword is there where the tabernacle was at that time. But all of that doesn't matter because it is speculation on my part. Obviously, Doeg is a kingdom advocate of King Saul. That much we know. So, what do you think Doeg does? He takes in an earful of personal knowledge of the dialogue going on between David and the Cohen. Then, he takes that information back to his boss, King Saul. And here is where we pick up with the story in 1 Samuel 22, 9-19. Doeg the Edomite, I'll just call him Mr. Worrywart, who happens to also come from the same family line of King Herod the Great in the days of Yeshua. He speaks and says to Saul, I saw the son of Yeshai going to Nob. 
to Ahimelech, the son of Ahituf, and he inquired of Jehovah for him to give him provisions. And he gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So King Saul sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahituf, and all of his father's house, the priests who were in that city of Nob. Now, if you will be patient, we'll come back and pick up with the rest of this story to help us understand more of the details that are going on between the lines in that dialogue between Yeshua and the Pharisees in Matityahu or Matthew 12, verses 2 through 4. Stay with me, and Yah willing, I'll come back. This is Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 109. Here is your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. And I'm Avi ben Mordechai. Thanks for joining us. Let's continue where we left off just before the break. I had been talking about 1 Samuel 16, 14, where we learn that the spirit of Jehovah departed from King Saul and an evil spirit. Yes, that's what it says in Hebrew. An evil spirit from Jehovah caused him to be gripped with terror. You see, King Saul was repeatedly besides himself while he was chasing David all around the kingdom, seeking to kill him, to snuff him out, because Saul felt very threatened and was trying to hang on to his kingdom and to his authority. So we might say that King Saul was out of his mind. His actions were unpredictable, and I think that one just could not trust him to ever act rationally or in truth. And then to make matters even worse, we learn from the first Samuel 21 narrative that between Ahimelech and David in Nob, there just so happened to be a very vile man in that city that day. And even that was ordered by Jehovah. And all of this is according to 1 Samuel 21.7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. And what was his name? Doeg the Edomite. He was the chief of the herdsmen belonging to the kingdom of King Saul. And strangely, Doeg's name in Hebrew actually means worried. David is busy manipulating the Kohen into giving him some bread on the pretext that he is hungry also to give him a weapon, Goliath's sword, that he has no right to have. Obviously, Doeg is a kingdom advocate of King Saul. So what do you think Doeg does? He takes in an earful of personal knowledge of the dialogue going on between David and the Cohen. Then he takes that information back to his boss, King Saul, and here is where we pick up with the story. Doeg the Edomite, I'll just call him Mr. Worrywart, who happens to also come from the same family line of King Herod the Great in the days of Yeshua, 
he speaks and says to Saul in 1 Samuel 22, 9-19, I saw the son of Yishai going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahituv, and he inquired of Jehovah for him to give him provisions, and he gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So King Saul sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahituv, and all of his father's house, the priests who were in that city of Nob. And they came to the king, King Saul, and Saul said to him, Hear now, son of Ahituv. He answered, Here I am, my master. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and that son of Yishai, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? So Ahimelech answered the king and said to him, Well, Who among all of your servants is as loyal as David, who is the king's son-in-law? Because, of course, David is married to Michal, the daughter of King Saul. And he goes on to say that it's this David who goes and does your bidding. And is he not the one who is honorable in your house? So Ahimelech continues and says to Saul, Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. What was he saying there? Well, let me put it in my words. Look, Saul, I am very loyal to you and not to David. And because I am loyal to you, that I did not bring his case before God and inquire for him or to seek his safety and his protection. I did no such thing. That's why he says, Far be it from me. And then he goes on to say, Let not the king impute anything to his servant, referring to himself, or to any in the house of my father, referring to Ahituv. Then he closes off his defense in front of King Saul, and he says, For your servant knew nothing of all of this, little or much. And the truth is, he didn't because David was being deceptive. David was telling a tall tale to try to get what he wanted out of that situation. Remember, folks, David was deceitful, and he lied to Ahimelech when his suspicions were stirred. 1 Samuel 21.2, he says, The king has ordered me on some business. And he said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. So what happens next? King Saul said to the Cohen in 1 Samuel twenty-two sixteen, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all of your father's house. Obviously, Saul, in his altered state of mind, didn't believe the story that the priest was telling. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of Jehovah, because their hand also is with David, because they knew when he fled 
and did not tell me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of Jehovah. And the king said to Doeg, You, turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite, Mr. Worryward, turned and struck the Kohanim, and he killed on that day eighty-five men who wore a linen ephod. Also in Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep. He slew them all with the edge of the sword. You see, this was utter madness on the part of King Saul, as he ordered an Edomite of Esau or Esau to senselessly do his partisan, grimy, dirty work through the horrible and baseless murder of a city of innocent, anointed Kohanim or priests and their families. All this was to keep Saul's kingdom secure from collapsing due to what he perceived to be the secret political ambitions of an opponent like David. Saul was prepared to do pretty much anything to guard his political power and his authority, and he would dare not let anyone get in his way. Hmm, sounds a lot like what's going on even today in our world, huh? Now let's get back to the lesson from Yeshua in Matthew chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. In verse 2, the Pharisees said to Yeshua, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Then in verses 3 through 4, Yeshua says to these accusing Pharisees, Well, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the lechem hapanim, that is, the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the Kohanim. Oh, you see, this lesson of Yeshua to the Pharisees of his day was very pointed, and it was not about alleviating hunger. It was not about pikuach nefesh, the preservation and saving of the soul. It was not about superseding biblical laws, such as the Sabbath, in order to instead show compassion and mercy. Nope, none of that. From the days prior to and after the destruction of the Second Temple, the Halakha, which is Jewish legal law, it addressed so many issues just like this one. As Yeshua brought this particular one up from David's actions in 1 Samuel 21. So Yeshua taught straightforwardly according to the written word of the Torah, that David manipulated a situation that was clearly unlawful for him to do. However, in the ancient Jewish literary works of custom and rabbinic law, you will find arguments such as these. Menachot 95b. It is the table that consecrates the bread when the showbread or the lechem hapanim is placed there. The loaves are therefore not disqualified 
by being left overnight. Again, Metachot 95b, the Gemara asks, And how can you say that David found the priests at the time of the baking? But isn't it subsequently written, quote, And the priest gave him sacred bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before yud heh vav 1 Samuel 21.7. So this Talmudic commentary goes on to say, This indicates that David received showbread that had already been on the table, not loaves that had just been baked. In other words, all the old bread sitting on the table had lost its divine sanctity because it was done doing its purpose. It wasn't on the table anymore. Here's something from Menachot 96a. David said to the priests or the Kohanim, It is not necessary to say that it is permitted for me to eat this showbread, which has already been removed from the table. Now, it's quite likely David didn't even say any of that. But you see, this is the way the rabbinic legal system is thinking, that when it was hot and it was put on the table, then it was sanctified, then it belonged to Yehovah. But after it got cold and it was a week later and it was considered old bread and taken down off the table, why, then it's no longer sanctified because it's been replaced with new hot bread. Therefore, the rabbis concluded it no longer has a status of being holy. It's common bread. But you see, that's not what the Torah says. The Torah says that this old bread is for the Kohanim and the priests, according to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 8 through 9. And this law concerning the old bread, that is by a perpetual statute. It is forever. But then again, from the Mishnah on this discussion, from Menachot 96a, and the Mishnah that is behind that teaching, we learn this. With regard to the twelve loaves of the high priest's griddle cake offering, which six are offered in the morning and six in the evening, their kneading, the forming of their loaves, and their baking take place inside the temple courtyard. And all types of labor involved in those actions override Shabbat. In other words, they can do the kneading of the flour, the forming of them into loaves, and their baking all inside the temple courtyard on Sabbath. The laws prohibiting work on the Sabbath do not apply to that particular situation. So therefore, the priests are held innocent in regards to doing that. But the Mishnaic text goes on to say, these labors cannot be performed prior to the Sabbath. In other words, they have to be done on the Sabbath, as once the loaves are consecrated in a service vessel, and they are hot when they come out, they are disqualified if they are left overnight. In other words, they must go directly onto the table and into the tabernacle. And then the old bread comes off and is replaced by this new hot bread. Nevertheless, Yeshua's lesson was and still is all about something much, much deeper. 
justifications towards breaking one's word, breaking a loyalty to Jehovah, and being disloyal to Him, and also in defining what is lawful and what is not lawful, regardless of whether one agrees with it or not. Precisely, Yeshua was aiming towards the word of the prophet Isaiah 5, 20-21. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and understanding in their own sight. If you examine a majority of the legal and moral discussions presented on this subject as it's related to us in Matthew chapter 12 and the first eight verses, discussions that are found among many in Christianity and also in Judaism, even Orthodox Judaism, you will find the general attitude that David did no wrong, that showing mercy and compassion actually overrides biblical law, and that because David happened to be hungry and in need, therefore he should be held guiltless and innocent. But you see, as I've said, this was not the point of Yeshua's argument. Judging the matter on the basis of showing mercy and compassion come first is an irrelevant discussion. And so the Pharisees among the Judeans were saying to Yeshua in Matthew 12 too, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. What were they doing? They were wrongly judging the actions of Yeshua's disciples based on legalized customs and traditions. So Yeshua drew their attention to that of judging David in a favorable light when it was quite the opposite. He was manipulating a Kohen, exercising bald-faced lies about his mission from the king, being deceptive and coy in obtaining weaponry that he wanted, that is, the sword of Goliath, and then, in the end, getting 85 priests killed, along with Ahimelech and all of the priestly families in the city of Nob. You see, the consequences of David's actions were all-encompassing and had huge ramifications for a lot more people than just little old David. David was weak and untruthful, but the one thing that he was not, he definitely was not disloyal to Jehovah. He just had some problems with the flesh like all of us. So this brings us to a similar lesson from Yeshua, and the story begins in Matthew, Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Then Yeshua went out from there and departed to the region of Tsur and Sidon. And a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, to Yeshua, saying, Have mercy on me, Master, Son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away 
for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and bowed down to him and said, Master, help me. Now here is where the lesson really begins to take shape. Yeshua said to her, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. But notice the woman's words as the substance of her response. Her answer was well-defined. And she said, quote, Yes, Master, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Oh, interesting. The master's table is, of course, the table of the hot lechem hapanim, the hot bread of the faces, that consecrated bread that was holy and sacred, the twelve loaves of the showbread that was found on the table in the Mishkan or the tabernacle. So this woman of the Israelite exiles living among the Canaanites of Tzur and Sidon, well, she knows that the Sadducean Kohanim of the Jerusalem temple of her day, that they had no right to eat of that consecrated sacred bread, the showbread. They had no right to eat of it because she knew that they were spiritually unclean little dogs. Well, what is this supposed to mean? Obviously, she was intuitive enough to understand how utterly corrupt the priesthood of Jerusalem was. And all one has to do is read the words of Ezekiel 8, 12-17. In this narrative, there were 25 men, all corrupt priests, bowing down to the sun toward the east. Nonetheless, in speaking to the woman of Sur and Sidon in Matthew 15, 26, Yeshua says, It is not good to take the children's bread or the son's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And again, the woman responds in Matthew 15, 27, Yes, Master, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. What is this statement, little dogs? What does it mean? When the word was speaking to Ezekiel, he said the corrupt priests were idolatrous, and you could find them bowing down towards the sun in the east. It is clear to me that these 25 men were quite likely bowing down to the early morning bright star Sirius, or what the Hebrews called Sotis, the dog star, in the constellation Canis Major, the big dog. The Sadducean Kohanim in the Jerusalem temple were no different from those 25 men in Ezekiel chapter 8 in terms of their idolatry. In the days following the Hashmonaim, the Maccabees, clear up until the time that Yeshua appears on the scene, all of the legitimate priesthood was replaced with illegitimate Kohanim or priests, and they were not of the authorized line of the house of Tzedok, who preserved so many of the Dead Sea Scrolls for us. 
That whole lot of illegitimate priests that came into power in Jerusalem right about the same time that the Pharisees also began coming in with their power and their authority, all of them seized control of the temple and the Jewish legal laws of the time. And it happened next to the post-Hashmonaim or Maccabee period when all of these illegitimate groups had come in to take over as Israel's temple and religious authorities. These groups just would not let go of all that they had obtained illegitimately. They were just as obstinate and unrepentant as King Saul. Yes, indeed, spiritually, they were unclean little dogs bowing down at the feet of Daddy Dog, the dog star Sirius. And yet, weekly, they had the impudence to regularly eat from the old bread that was placed in front of Jehovah on the sacred table in the tabernacle and in the temple. And the woman that was speaking to Yeshua knew that. And so what about David? We're going to come back to talk about all of this on the next program when I finish up this study here on Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. I want to thank you for joining me. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. If you have any questions or comments about any of these programs, please navigate over to our website at www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. Yah willing, I'll see you next week in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. (laughs) 